All right, this morning, uh, I will wrap up our series on a stewardship lifestyle. I'm going to wrap this up this morning. It's been four weeks, and I hope that my teaching has helped you understand this. Uh, I know I've, I hadn't been, you know, it hadn't been evangelistic or anything, and, and it didn't make anybody run to the altar. Uh, it didn't make anybody come. F- but I hope with all of my heart that it has taught you something that is so important. Because there's certain times that I'm sharing with you my heart, and I'm sharing with you what makes me or makes hopefully someone who is mature in Christ what they are. And this is, this is the bedrock of everything that you will ever be. What I'm teaching you in these four weeks is the bedrock of everything you will build on in your Christian life. It will be what sustains you in your Christian life. And so as we've walked through this, we talked about, a, three weeks ago, we talked about just describing what the stewardship lifestyle is about. About having a posture of an open hand where God can give and you give. Where God can trust you and impart to you so that you can share with others. This is important. Now, it's difficult. We read Luke 6, and we've realized, and we talked about lawnmowers and different things and, and how you need to be careful because whatever you give away, you gave it away, and, and now you're going to have to... And so it's, it's a process of learning how God wants us to do that and how, how we're to be open and, and, and using wisdom and sharing our gifts and our talents and our abilities and loaning things to people and different things. But it always is from the same posture. It's, it's openness of caring for someone, when God puts that person on your heart doing something, that's the stewardship lifestyle that God called us to. It was said about Jesus of all the things. It didn't say he was the greatest preacher. It didn't say he was this. It said he went about doing good. That's what it said about him. The catalyst for Jesus was he went about doing good. Now, some of those are miracles. Some of that is other things. But just doing good, just caring for people and loving people. The second week, we talked about poverty uh, ministry or the poverty theology and the prosperity theology that, that really are the, the far ends of what stewardship lifestyle is about. If you go too far one way or the other, you're going to either hate money and think money is horrible and anybody who's got it is a bad person. They must have cheated somebody to get it. Or you go to the other side and you believe that God, all he wants for me to have good stuff and good stuff and, and more stuff and, and more houses and more cars. And, and if you're not careful, you'll find that ministries many times fall from one side to the other. They either going to have gold chairs on their stage and their gold toilets and they're going to talk about prosperity or they're going to turn around on the other side or they're going to just have a little bit of nothing and just say, well, we may not have nothing, but we're faithful and God's good to us and But in the middle is where God says, I've entrusted you with what I have entrusted you. And I want you to be faithful with what I've given you. And if I can trust you with a little, then I can trust you with more. So maybe one day you do reach prosperity, but prosperity doesn't always mean money. It could be influence. It could be the fact of what you're seen as in your family. Maybe at first you're seen as, as someone who's, Lord, you're the biggest loser your family had, all your cousins and nobody. And by the end of your life, you're the one they come to for advice, and you're the one you become rich. doesn't mean that it's always wealth. It just means that God wants you to prosper. In fact, he praised that. He said, Beloved, I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. 
So in my life, I don't think of it as money. I'm, I'm never going to be, if you judge me that I'm a successful pastor by how big a house or, or, or how much money or how the, you know, what kind of Cadillac I drive, you're going to be badly disappointed because that's never going to be any way you're going to see me as successful. But yet at the same time, after all these years, I've become very prosperous in my influence and all the ways that I've been able to touch lives. The third week, last week, we talked about God's addition process. And we talked about the kind of people that God wants to work with and the type heart that it requires for God to work with you. We talked a little bit about D.L. Moody, and we used the story of Peter and John going to the temple, and they said, silver and gold we don't have. And it's amazing, I've been preaching on stewardship the whole week, and notice one thing I hadn't talked about is money. I've talked about stewardship the whole time, and then Peter and John, we ain't got no money. Well, you're preaching on stewardship, and they got... But that which we have... We give. That's what stewardship's about. It's the lifestyle that God called us to. And Peter and John created an enormous moment for God just by giving what they had. So this morning, I'm going to wrap this up, and I'm, I'm going to hit it from the highest level that I can for you, and I'm going to try to give it to you because the title of this morning is The One Who Owns It All. Look at the person beside you and say, do you know the one who owns it all? Okay. So we came this morning, we, 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 you know, we, we come and because we understand, let's say this week you made $200. You made $200 in your check and everything and, and you came this morning and, and how much of that belongs to God, John Austin? 200 That's exactly right. See, most of you say, well, $20. Got to pay him 10%. No, you missed it. God owns 200. He owned 200 before you made it, and he owed 200 after you made it. God owns it all. The, the only way you will ever reach the highest level of stewardship and the lifestyle that God wants you to have is that you're not paying God or you're giving to God. You're not trying to earn something from God. You come to the final conclusion that God is the owner of everything. The hair on your head, the breath that you're fixing to breathe, everything belongs to God. And until you get there, you will always wrestle between the two governments or the two powers that exist. And Jesus said, as we studied in times past, you can't love both. You're going to eventually have to choose. And one of the catalysts for choosing which one is determining that God owns everything in my life, including my life. That makes every other decision easier. In fact, one of the greatest uh, statements that was ever made uh, in, in time, as we go back to historians, and I can carry you to George Washington and different people, and, of how you talk about responsibility. George Washington would talk many times of the responsibility that we have to the sovereign God. When you find grown, mature Christians and you find their quotes, I'm going to tell you what you're going to find. You're going to find mixed in their quotes the understanding that I'm responsible I'm responsible to the God that I serve. In fact, at one banquet, I love this moment, Daniel Webster, who in the 1800s was a, was a lawyer, he, he helped uh, litigate almost 200 cases in the Supreme Court. 
Daniel Webster was being celebrated as a statesman. And at this place where there was people from other countries and all these different statesmen and senators and others that were around, they asked him, Daniel, give us this one fact. I want you to tell us what's the most important thought that you've ever had in your life. Now, think about that. If you were around someone who was really smart, if you walked up to Einstein and you said, Einstein, tell me the most significant thought that ever passed through your brain. What's the most significant thought? If I was to ask you that, of all your years of living, what is the most significant thought that ever passed through your mind? Daniel Webster, without any hesitation, looked at the crowd and he said, the most important thought I ever had was that of my individual responsibility to God. The greatest thought that ever went through my mind was my responsibility to God. In fact, the moment he spoke that, at that banquet, he had to excuse himself for 20 minutes and go to the back room where he cried. And he came back, and for the next 30 minutes, he expounded on that thought to them. In fact, he began to tell them for 30 minutes, he talked about those great men and women in that room on that day about the responsibility he felt for managing the resources that God had given to him. He spent 30 minutes just telling them of the responsibility and how important that was in his life. No wonder he became a great statesman. No wonder you can pull his name up on uh, Wikipedia. No wonder it, it, he has, has enormous things that he's done. He's a man, so you're going to find mistakes that he made too, duh. But the fact is, is that he was someone who was in his life moving forward, trying to progress. And how was he doing it? He said, because of the relationship that I have with God and the responsibility that I have toward him. One of the greatest things we'll ever find and come to grips with is that responsibility that we have to God who owns it all. Go with me to Matthew 25, and I'm going to read this story one more time. Matthew 25, and beginning at verse 14. If we're not careful, many times we're like the person that was in California a while back, and when they were there, the news people, the, of course they have TV programs all the time, and they have to ask for permission. And they went up to this house where they wanted to film some stuff, and they knocked on the door, and the person answered the door, and and said, hey, we're from television this, and we want to, to put this, and is it all right if we put your house on the television, you know, on, on TV and different things? And they were like, sure. Well, it wasn't but a few weeks later after they'd done that that they got a call, and somebody was suing them for doing it. Well, it turned out that the person who lived in the house was only the renter. They said, Sure but had no understanding that they weren't the true owners of the house. And many times when we get in trouble, it's going to be because we thought we could give permission to something, okay something, and say it's okay, when we didn't have lawful ownership of it to begin with. Here's what Matthew, Jesus is teaching. And let me go ahead and set this precedence. Matthew 25 
verses 1 through 13 is the story of the ten virgins. And if I had three hours, I'd preach both of these because they go together. But the ten virgins is a story of Jesus telling them the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like ten virgins who knew a wedding was coming, knew they were supposed to be ready. Five of them spent the time doing what they were supposed to do, spending the money they needed to spend, doing everything they needed to be prepared for the wedding. And five were foolish, not knowing and not realizing that the wedding would leave them behind, ready or not. And at the end of the story, he ends by saying that, be ready. The kingdom of God is like a situation where you need to be ready at any moment, at any time, because you don't know when opportunities and moments of the kingdom are coming. And then at verse 14, he says this, for the kingdom of heaven. Now notice after he tells that, after that tells that story, he immediately goes and says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants. And notice this now, these are not somebody else's servants. These are not just servants. They are his servants, his own servants. They belong to him. They are people that, as we would say, they call themselves Christians. They call themselves believers. They say, I belong to the Lord. They say, I love Jesus. I go to church. I, I sing the praise. I listen to K-Love on my radio. These are people that would tell you I. And so he calls them to himself. And when he does, he delivers his goods to them. Then he who had received five talents... And one, he gave five talents, to another two talents, to another one, to each according to his own what? Ability. So God has predetermined among his own stuff, it's his stuff, and he determined what that person's abilities could handle. Now, it doesn't mean they will handle it well. It just means that within them is the ability to handle it. So there's certain things God says, Tim, I'm never going to give you. Uh, you can pray for it, ask for it. I'm not going to give it to you. Why? Because when I made you and formed you in your mother's womb, I did not give you that ability. I did not give you that ability. Therefore, if I was to give that to you, it would be a danger and a hurt to you and not a blessing. Look at that person beside you and ask them, do you know what God left out in you? See, there are certain things in my life I know what God left out. I know there are certain, uh, certain things that God left out. And because he left them out, it causes me difficulty. It doesn't mean it stops me. It just limits me. Okay, let me give you a scenario. I'm a what? Introvert. You know how many times I've prayed, God, make me an extrovert. Fix my personality. And God's like, nah. Nah, because if I was to give you and bless you with all that I've blessed you with, and you liked it and loved to talk about it and loved to share it and loved to, then it could be a damage to you instead of a blessing. But last yesterday, we had the women's conference and everything going on, had all this going on and all this taking place. And you know where I was at? 
I wasn't here. I didn't need nobody walking up saying, oh, man, it's, 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 I, I didn't need no, no ego trip. I didn't, my personality, but imagine if, if God had made me to where I would, where do you think I'd have been standing? Probably even got myself on the stage once and just, ladies, I just want to say thank you for coming to all seasons. And from the bottom of my heart, it's meant everything to me. I'm like, I don't want to be here. And God says, that's why I made you that way. That's why I designed you that way. Now, don't get me wrong. There are times, Tim, I need you to be an extrovert. And at those moments, I will anoint you to accomplish. That's why Paul struggled with it. Remember Paul three times prayed, God, if you just fix this in my life, I'd be so much better. If you would just take care of this, I would be so much greater. If you would do this. And God said, Paul, when I made you, I left that out. When I made you, Paul, I left that out. Now, that doesn't mean, Paul, that I can't use you and pull it out of you or give it to you for just a moment every now and then, but just know it ain't natural to you that when people see you doing that, they're going to say, that's God. Because I know that person and I know that they can't do that. And so when, when you, you understand, he gave according to his own ability and immediately he went on his journey. And then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. So he doubled. And likewise, he who received two gained two more also by trading and working. He who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. Notice now, he hid what? Not his. It was never his. None of it was his. He went and hid somebody else's stuff. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled his accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. And he said unto him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler now over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. And the Lord said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received one talent came and said, Lord, I know. I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is. I'm going to give you back what's been yours the whole time. I haven't used it for you. I haven't, I haven't made more of it. I haven't shared it in any way, but I'm giving it back to you the same way you gave it back to me. So when I take these stories and I begin to put them together, Jesus is teaching one of the most powerful messages He's ever taught in His ministry. Matthew 25 is an incredible chapter where He's sharing what is the kingdom look like? How does it work? Not the emotion, but how does it work? How does God who sits on the throne work the kingdom? How does it operate? How do I make it work in my life? I'm going to give you this morning, I want to give you the biblical principles then 
since he owns it all, and Jesus shares his story, so it's, it, it, it's no question of who owned. He is the Lord of all. He owns it all. It's all his. He gave to his servants what was his. So I want to share with you the biblical principles of someone who has learned to be a good servant or disciple or someone who's learned to be a good manager of what God has. Whatever you like to describe yourself. I use servant. I've always described myself as a servant. Some like disciples. Some I don't care, but they're all going to mean the same thing. He's Lord of all. Here's number one. The first thing you've got to totally grasp in your mind and totally get is this one principle. God owns it all. Write it down. Because you're going to have to remind yourself of this one a lot. God, look what they did to me. God, look what they took from me. God, look what happened to me. God, look what... It'll always be a lot of your life about me and mine. And you'll have a hard time constantly reminding yourself that none of it is mine. None of it belongs to me. Go back with me to verse 14 real quick and let's read that. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling who called his servants and delivered his goods to them. Now, here's the thing when you got to understand that when we're talking about if God owns it all, then underlying in that, 1A would be this, that God has the right to do whatever he wants to do with his possessions. God can do whatever he wants to do with his own If he wants to give you five or you two or give you a little and give you much or give you rich and you're going to not be as rich, or you, God can choose to do what he wants to with his own. That was a key thing growing up because I always got frustrated with why God didn't allow me to be in a better situation. Why did I have to grow up in a green trailer? Why did this have to happen to me? Why was I a preacher's kid when I had to move all over? I could come up with a multitude of things of why, 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 and I had to finally settle that the God who owns it all also has the ability to distribute it as he chooses. I'm sorry you can't sing like some people. I'm sorry you can't dance like me. I'm sorry. You, you don't have abilities and, and, and other things that in your life. But the fact is, is that God measured each one of us and gave to each one of us what he wanted us to have to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish. And he created a church so that all those different talents and abilities would come into one setting. And if each one gave what they had, there would not be anything lacking. So we foul it all up by first thinking it's mine, and then we mess it up by bringing it to church, and as soon as we can dismiss, we're ready to hit the door to get back to our car because we don't realize that the reason he's got you here is to find out how you fit in the body and what gifts he gave to you that he didn't give to anybody else and that the church will never be stronger, never be stronger until you connect with everyone else and using what gifts he's given to you. I'll always remember years ago, people applaud our band and, and, and our praise team and all this. And Years ago, we did everything by cassette or CD. I remember when, when Jennifer had, had gone and 
left me and, and all of that. And, 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 you know, I had nothing but a five CD disc changer. And I could pick which disc, and that's how we did praise. That's how we did praise. I'd mash the button and it would pop up. And I had one guy over here with an overhead projector and he would put the little slide things up. Man, we were uptown. Some of y'all don't remember that, but some of you go all the way back to that. In fact, Benji used to be my overhead projector guy. You're like, how in the world did you get from there to... Well, God began to lay on different people's heart. God laid on Jennifer and Jim to come back. God laid on Trent years ago. Hey, you need to go help Tim. Wouldn't have took much discernment to know that. <laughs> hey, you need to go help Tim. Tim is struggling with that CD player. And when Trent got here, you know, he was like, well, what instruments do we have? Trent didn't even play instruments. I'm like, what good are you? I, I, you? Just me or you with a CD player. You ain't helping me no more. I'll just give you the remote. He said, we need a band. And I'm like, duh. How are you going to do that? And this was, our, this was our incredible strategy. We bought instruments that we couldn't play. We were still doing the CD player. Still cruising on that CD player, but our whole stage had had a piano and, and had guitars, had a 12-string guitar. And nobody could play it. It's just all kind of bass guitar laying up there. We had them all up on the stage, and we were sitting there singing by CD. And you know what would happen as we began to pray? We just started praying, God, there's somebody. There's got to be people that know. There's got to be. There's somebody in the body that can do this. We can't, but, but there's got to be some. And you know what? Somebody would come up and say, you know, I, I play drums. You do? Yeah. And then I had two of my young guys that said, we want to learn guitar. You do? And slowly but surely, one after another, all of a sudden, people began to say, we either want to learn it, we, we, we can do it. Hey, I, you know, I play in a bar sometimes. Is that all right? I don't care. Just don't play, you know, on Sunday's bar. Just come to my church. Before we knew it, we didn't have just the band. We had people learning in our younger classes to play guitars and drums. And, and people began to come in and say, hey, I'd like to be a part of that. I'd like to... Well, what, what did y'all do? What, boy, y'all just... I mean, God, y'all were just so lucky. No, we weren't. We took what we had, and we took the five that we had, and we turned it into ten. We invested it. We spent money. Somebody will say, well, I'll tell you what, when I find somebody play a guitar, I'll take him up there and buy him one. Dumb. Go ahead and put the guitar on the stage, and when God sends him in, he'll notice it and let God deal with him. He's going to be sitting there the whole service while you're preaching. Look at that guitar. I wonder who plays that guitar. That's a good-looking guitar. Let God deal with him. Just whole service. Just mess him up. Like, who, who plays that? Come to the pastor after service. Who plays your guitar? Nobody yet. Can you play guitar? Yes. Well, then I'm going to be praying for you. <laughs> All of a sudden, you watch what God does. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling in a far country who simply gives what he had. So God can do with what he wants to do, however he wants to do it. Number two, listen. God-given resources are always given always given to accomplish a God goal. 
If God has put resources in your life, they are for the purpose. You're going to have to search it. You're going to have to figure out why. It's a God goal somewhere. If God made you rich, that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. That's wonderful. But you're going to have to search out, why did God give me more stuff like this? And why did God bless me with this? And, and, and what's it for? If I've got a better car, then what's that car for? It's not just to sit in my driveway and, and get a, everything God has blessed me with. What is it that God has done it for? There's a goal somewhere. And, and as we say around here, there's a, it's a tool. Find out what that tool does. If it's a chainsaw, it's not made to beat wood with. You don't beat wood with a chainsaw. Figure out the tool, figure out how it works, and let that rascal do its job. And in life, that's what we do. What is, what is the tool? See, when we built this eight years ago, we knew it was a tool. Didn't even understand why. Way before camp came into mind, way before, and, and, and this weekend, the only church in the state of Mississippi to host the women's conferences big enough that could do it is guess who? God said, I'm going to give you a tool. I need you to build this building. God, we don't need this building. Oh, yeah, you need that building. There's stuff coming. I need that tool in your hand, Tim. Because you'll know what to do with that tool. You, you'll know that it's not yours. It's not to be something just for yourself. It's, it's, it's something I'm giving you so that you can bless others. And there's more stuff coming. And it will continue to be. Why? Because God says, listen, if you can understand why I've given it for you and to you, then it will work. Number two, second thing you need to realize is that every, every spending decision then becomes a spiritual decision. Every spending decision that you make in your life, every one that you ever do in your life is a, is a decision of spirituality. If I go eat, it's a spiritual decision. How much I'm fixing to spend. Is it worth it? Is it the best value that I can have? There's some times where it's like, man, I just want to eat a steak. And that's fine. But if all my blessings are just so I can eat steak all the time and so that I can just enjoy and, and I'm throwing out food because I can't even eat it well enough, then God's like, whoa, your spending decision is not a spiritual decision. Let me give it to you this way. 2A, money and, possess and possessions are very effective tools that God uses in your lives. In fact, the good person will say it this way. This is what a good person will say. God, what do I need to learn from this? In every situation, every circumstance, every trial, a person who wants to grow and be a disciple or be a servant or be... God, what is it you're trying to show me in this? What is it I'm supposed to learn in this? What is this? Why? why? But I'm going to tell you what the person who struggles will always say. God, why did this happen to me? Now, I don't know which one you say. But I can tell you, as life goes on, you will become very professional at saying, God, what is it you're trying to show me? What is it you're trying to lead me in? Or you will become very good at always talking to people on Facebook and everything. I don't know why this happened to me. I don't know why I got to go through this. I don't know why this is taking place. I don't know... 
You know who the person is when I say it, don't you? Because you're going to become very good at realizing that every possession, money and any possession that God gives into your hand, He uses them to test you as an effective tool. Can you use this moment as a tool? That's why Paul said, when I said you know, a minute ago, where he said, I prayed three times that God would remove this, and God said three times, no. God said, my grace is sufficient. So what did Paul do? Well, I don't know why all this bad stuff happens to me. No, here's what Paul said. Therefore, I will glorify, I will praise, I will lift up the name of the Lord. Why? Because I've understood that if this is something he's put into my life, then I'm going to learn that, God, you show me what you want me to learn from this. I don't know why God made me an introvert, but I know one thing. I was going to learn from that personality. I was going to learn from that to become the very best I could be in it to give him glory so that now when I stand up and speak, I can quickly say, look, that's God doing that. That's not Tim because Tim isn't built that way. That's God. And God said, that's why I left it. Now you figured out why I gave you that tool. You figured out why you have it. Number 2B, money and possessions are very effective tests in your life. A good steward, were, the good stewards were given more. And, and, and the one who did not take it and utilize it had even what he had taken away. It becomes a great test. Why do you think they give tests in school? If, if, you, if you're fixing to get to this part in math, and the teacher says, okay, we're fixing to give a test to see where we are. And you fail that test. What, are the, what is the teacher going to do? They're going to reteach you. <laughs> what we got to do? Let's just move on. Can't. Because you failed the test. And there's no reason for me to give you a different test. It's harder than what you're taking if you can't pass what you already have. If you can't handle what you already have, then, then you're never going to be able to be able to handle more or less. And in fact, that's usually the way people will talk all the time. They will say, well, if God would just bless me with more, I would... No, you wouldn't. Or God's given me too much. No. You're going to be faithful because you're faithful because you know what to do with what God's given you. And until you learn to do with what God's given you, He's not going to give you more. But what will happen is what you have will be taken from you. If you can't learn to deal with what you've got, God did not, when I was growing up, God did not move me out of the lime green trailer. God said, Tim, you either pass the test, or when you grow up, you can live in a lime green trailer. But you're going to stay at the lime green trailer until you learn to live at this level. Until, as the Apostle Paul would later say it this way, let me see if I can make it more sensible this way. Paul said, I have learned that whatever state I'm in, whether I have much or I have little, whether I'm, whether I'm being abased or whether I'm moving forward, or whether I have learned that in whatever state I'm in, to be content. A steward learns to be content. One of the hardest stories in the Bible to me is the story that he tells of the steward Jesus does. And he says, 
there was a steward who the master came in in the evening and the steward had been picking the field all day, had been working all day. And the steward came in, the servant came in and there was the master. He came in and sat down at the table and he said, what do you think the steward did? He said, the steward went from what he was doing immediately into the kitchen, cooked the meal, got everything ready, fixed the meal for his master and then sat down. If you can't handle what position or place you're at right now in your life, if you can't handle the wife you got, then a better one ain't going to help you. If you can't take care of the kids you got and grandkids ain't going to be no good for you, you're just going to pass on the same messed up theology just to a different generation. You've got to learn, can I handle what God has given me at this moment. The next part of it is this. 3C, 2C. Money and possessions are a very effective testimony then that God uses. But let, me, let me say it this way. It is not how much you have. It is not how much you've been given. That has nothing to do with what God is looking for in the test. It is not much, it is not little, it is the attitude that you're going to have toward it. What God is testing you for, the reason God is trying you, is what He's trying to do is to see if you will hang on very tightly to the world's possessions, if you will get more greedy, if you'll get more palm closed, or whether you will still remain open. It's why it's very hard to build churches with old people. Let me just go ahead and help some churches. You need to get every old person you got off your board. Just go ahead and just tell them, say, you've done your thing. Give them a watch. Give them whatever. Tell them thank you. Enjoyed your time and just let them move on. Because let me tell you something. It's rare, but it can happen. You can have some older people. It's good, but let me tell you what's normally going to happen. The older we get... We don't, we don't, man, we got stuff in our closet. Somebody said, you ought to sell that in a yard sale and just, and just, man, you could turn that into cash and do something for the Lord. That, that was, that was ain't so and so, so and so. And And let me tell you what they do to churches. Yeah, we need to repaint these walls. Oh, Miss So-and-so painted that wall 47 years ago and that mural's been up there. Yeah, I know it. I can tell. Uh huh. That was anointing coming out of me right then when I'm teaching this. I'm just I'm helping somebody. Somebody, some preacher is going to hear this sermon and say, "Praise God!" That's the answer. It, because it's going to hurt you for that moment. But listen to me. They're never going to. And the older they get. Hey, we need to go spend a million dollars. Oh, no, no, no. We need to keep that in that CD. You never know what might happen. Because when you're younger, you feel like you got time to make it up. You feel like you can, hey, just, I mean, it's just a car. It's just, 
You get older, you buy that last car, you're like, look now, this is the car I'm going to die with. We got to pick a good one this time. Any other time, you're like, ah, just go trade that thing. Get something else. Get it. Oh, no. As you get older, and listen to me, it works the same way. It is, it is a test. It is this. But it's also, listen, it's effective testimony about how you're going to live your life. It's an effective testimony about how you're going to live. So the hardest thing I have is to keep old people thinking young. It is. It is. Because my church is going to keep getting older and there's going to be young people, but what's got to happen is either there's going to be this division of, well, we don't, we don't go so far, we don't, we don't need to be doing it. Or you keep them still in the same boat. And the older person says, I may die in this process, but that's all right, let's do it. It may not even get done while I'm alive, but that's okay, let's do it. Number three, the amount is not important. The amount is not important. Go with me to verse 21 and 23. Let me read this to you. Verse 21. And the Lord said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. That's the one who had the what? Five talents, and he became ten. Now go to verse 23 and 24. And the Lord said to him, Oh, well done, thy good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the... The amount is not important. There will be little ladies and, and, and older gentlemen that one day in heaven will get more than Tim Lott. Because God is not judging you on this side on the amount. It's not the amount that matters. That's why I don't have to compete with other ministries. I don't have to compete with Jensen Frank. I don't have to compete with T.D. Jakes. I don't have to compete with Creflo Dollar. I don't have to compete with Houston, Texas. I don't have to compete with anything. Why? Because God says, Tim, it's not the amount that I've given you. It's whether you can be just as faithful with this amount as I have given somebody else another amount. Can you be faithful over the same amount? Because my reward is always the... My reward is the same. I say the same thing to both people. You have been faithful over to a God who owns it all, whether you own a million dollars or $50, you still have a little. You're not impressing God. How are you going to impress him with your, well, now I, I, you know, I got a, I got a nicer car. Duh, I own all the cars. And I own the road they drive on. It's not your amount that matters. See, God's not worried about your amount this morning. You'll use that all the time. Oh, I ain't got enough to really be. Oh, you got just enough. Oh, well, it's easy for people who ain't got much. Man, it's hard to write that big check. Just same. You see yourself the same way that they do. They have to see themselves as someone who doesn't have anything. I'm just 
the manager of whatever God has given me. Whether God gave me something big or God gave me something small, I am simply the manager of it. And since I'm the manager of it, then I have to be able to stand before God and say, what you gave me, I did the best. And he's going to look at T.D. Jakes, and he's going to look at Tim Lott, and he's going to look at any of those big ministries and little ministries and ministries that ain't got but 30 people down the road here. And he's going to say the same thing to every one of us that did what we could, the best we could with what we had. He's going to say, well done. There are no big eyes and little use. It's just us. And whatever he decided to give and whatever he decided to distribute, that was up to him. But now, here's the thing. There ain't but one thing that'll make him mad. Because when you read the next thing, and he who received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you were hard and you reap where you don't sow and you gather where you don't. And he was afraid and went and hid the talent and, and look, I give it what you... The, but the Lord answered and said unto him, you wicked and lazy servant. There ain't but one thing will make God mad is if you think you own it. When you think you own it, and you're running it, and it's yours, and you think all I'm going to do is just do what I want to do and not have to worry about the God problem, and then one day if I do meet God, I'll just give it back to Him, let me tell you something, you're going to meet Him in a bad situation. Because He did not give you your talent. He did not give you your abilities. He did not give you your breath. He did not give you your skills. He did not give them for you to do what you want to do when you want to do it. He said, they belong to me and you will give an account back to me for what you did with them. Every one of us. And so when somebody says, well, Brother Lot, how do you live your life? That's how I live my life. Number four. Stewardship then requires action. Stewardship always requires action. You cannot this morning say, I'm going to be a disciple, or I'm going to be a servant, or I'm going to be a steward, a manager, whatever you want to call it. You cannot do it and say, I'm not going to do anything. The only one that upset God was the one who did nothing. When you leave here today, it's not about being a member of all seasons. It's not about, about being, quote, saved. It's, not, it's about the understanding that when I leave here today, I am a steward of what God has given me. Part of that is money, yes. When I come in, if I've made $200, yes. I give $20 of that just to tell God, God, I recognize that you own it all. That's what I do it for. It's just to understanding that, God, this 200 ain't what I love. I love you, and I'm doing this to recognize you as being Lord of it all. In fact, God, I will take the other 90%, and I will even use that in some way to sow and, and try to do and try to help your kingdom in some way. I want all of it. I want you to know that all of it belongs to you. Because it requires action. The most miserable person that will ever come to church will be the person that thinks that just by hearing, by listening, by experiencing, that it will be enough to make you feel good about yourself.
Self-esteem in the Christian body. Self-esteem in the Christian body only comes when the fact that I'm giving of myself. If you're in this room today, I want to help you. I don't want your money. I'm not checking your W-2. But I'm telling you, until you have a mindset that I'm a giver, that I'm a steward, then church will be a place you just drop in and drop out and it will have nothing to do with the other six days of your life. And you'll begin to wonder, why do we even come? Why do we even go? We're just wasting our gas. But if you get involved and find a place and become part of the body and you're the guitar player and the other one's the drummer and the other one's the... And one day you look across that stage and you realize, wow, look what God did by bringing all of our talents. There's not a Sunday morning I don't sit here and look at that praise team and it hits me. That's stewardship. That's all that is. Not one person, you know, Trent still can't play the spoons. He can beat the drums just enough to show somebody, like, here's kind of what I want you to do. I, I love watching him get up here, like, can't you come with me? And he'll just hit a chord or something. And I'll say, that rascal can't play squat. <laughs> but if you put him and Jennifer and Logan and all the others, and I can't name them all, Wednesday nights and Sunday. You put them all together and they become a body. And that's what God intended for us to be. Stewards of what God's given us. And every one of you in this room has a gift or a talent. Maybe you can do construction. I'd love to see you next week because I'm doing it. Maybe you can sweep floors and you love cleaning. We can do it. There is no big I or little use. It was just as important yesterday when I walked in. I had four or five ladies that when I walked in after the ladies' conference. I was coming up here to get my books and study, and those five ladies were cleaning and talking and, and walking through, and, and I, I just, it just hit me again. They're just part of the body. And they're just as important, because when you came in today, everything was right, and everything was put right, and everything was straight. It's a body. If I could teach you anything about Pastor Lot or anything that's of any value, I would teach you this one thing. Learn the stewardship lifestyle. Learn a stewardship lifestyle. It takes the weight off your shoulders because you ain't got to worry about God or somebody taking it away from you. It ain't yours to begin with. And you can enjoy whatever God puts because you know it's a tool to help someone along the way. You'll learn the joy of what it is to be a Christian. Will you stand? Most important question I'll ever ask myself, most important thought that will ever cross my mind is what is my responsibility to God? If you're in this room today and you need to ask an important question, this is it. 
what is my responsibility? Not, not to my wife, not to my kids, not, but what is my responsibility to God? If I can answer that, if I can settle that, the Apostle Paul said, I count all as lost for the knowledge of Him. Not as though I've apprehended or gained or accomplished, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind, I grab hold of what's in front. If you're in this room today, I'll tell you what will change your whole life. You stop being the person who owns it. Stop being the person who's responsible for it. And just be become the person that manages what God has given you. And being thankful every day for what He's given you. If He's given you breath, be thankful today. There are people that didn't make it to today. I got phone calls all this week. There are people that didn't make it this week. got health enough to be able to do and go eat to lunch today, be thankful because I can take you to places where they don't either have lunch or there is no lunch or they couldn't eat it even if they wanted it. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to say God's given you something. You can either live your life thankful for it and moving forward with it. You can always have an argument with Him about what He hadn't given you last As for me, I'm going to live my life thankful of every breath and every day, even the hurt in my body. I'm just thankful I got a body that can still hurt. It's okay, God. I'm going to be thankful. If you're in this room today, I hope you'll answer that question. Settle it. Realize that everything that comes to you is a gift from the Lord. Father, this morning I pray over everyone here that the most important step they'll make is not to love this old world, not to love the God of money or things, but to love you and to enjoy everything God you put in their life to hug their husband and wife and say, I'm thankful for you. To call their kid this, today and just say, I want to just tell you, I'm thankful for you. To go into work tomorrow, even if the old boss is ugly, just smile at them and say, I'm thankful you gave me a job. Learn to be thankful and watch what it does for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.